call on the name of the Lord. Amen. I have this morning multiple things turning in my spirit. Um, and I feel this little shift here in the Holy Ghost. I, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing, the application of the blood of Jesus, isn't it? We, we, of course, we know when we read in Exodus, the children of Israel in bondage there to Egypt some 400 years, and it would seem that there was no way out. I mean, after 400 years, you sort of, sometimes it's the way the adversary works. Time has a way of robbing you of hope. Time has a way of robbing you of faith, if you let it. Time has a way of taking away that which you once believed. And I believe it's the reason the Apostle Paul said to not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. But the children of Israel were in bondage for 400 years. They'd had a few generations now. For some, that's all they'd ever known was bondage. And you know, when... When a way of living is the only way that you've ever known, it's hard to believe that you could ever live any other way. And so you find the children of Israel living in bondage in Egypt. And you would think, you know, don't you know there had to be times they imagined in their mind and thought, maybe there were discussions around the dinner table or maybe they had a, a, a get-together after a long day of making bricks and gathering whatever they were doing after all that time. Don't you know that maybe they got together. I don't know if they got weekends off or how that worked, but I just sort of my mind runs a little bit like this, and I imagine them all getting together, you know, having a meal together. Maybe three or four of their families have all gotten, you know, they've grown at this point. There were 75 when they came, but over 400 years they multiplied. And so the family's getting together and maybe talking about what it would be like. Maybe they heard a story passed down from, from Joseph. You know, they, they heard the stories about that, but they were so far removed from that now. Now they were, it was bondage. It, it had been deliverance to them, but it became bondage because they weren't meant to stay there. I wonder if anyone ever talked about, well, you know, God might send some great army along to believe. You know, they believed. Maybe God will send some great army along to destroy Egypt and set us free. Maybe God will put it in the heart of some king of another nation to come and, and, and do this. And, you know, our human, our human reasoning always goes to natural elements and rationale to try to solve things that we really can't. They were as human as we were. But this guy Moses comes on the scene that had been there before, but he had made some mistakes along the way, and so he fled in fear. But the Lord brings him back after a burning bush, and here, and lo and behold, they get to the point, and the way God says he's going to bring them out, no armies, no king in his heart to come in and rescue them and destroy the Egyptians. Here's what I'm going to do. I mean, you know, we read this and we hear this story and we think, we thought, wow, that's so beautiful. But we forget there were real people having to process this and follow. And the Lord said, what you're going to do, Moses, you tell them. Every one of them, you tell them to get a lamb. And on this day, to get the lamb and to kill the lamb. 
take the blood from the lamb, put it on the top of the door and the side of the door, and then they're going to cook the lamb and they're going to eat it. They're going to have their shoes on, their staff in their hand. They're going to be ready to go. And they're going to put the blood on the door. And what's going to happen is at midnight, I'm going to send an angel through the land. The angel's going to come and he's going to kill the firstborn of every person and every creature. But if I see the blood on the door, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, he says. And then I'm going to bring you out by a great deliverance. Now we hear that and we're like, praise God, hallelujah. And we should, we should rejoice over that. But we forget somebody had to do that. Somebody had to believe that taking a lamb and somehow killing the lamb and taking his blood and putting the blood of the lamb on the door was somehow going, I mean, could you try to imagine and have the faith for a moment that the way God is going to deliver you from what has held you in bondage for so long could be as simple as the blood of a lamb. 400 years of bondage, 400 years of shame, of regret, of guilt, of you fill in the blank, 400 generational things passed along, generational things handed down, stories lost, fear gripped, all these situations. And the way you're going to come out of all of that the blood of a lamb on your door. Don't you know? I mean, come on. Don't you know there were people that were like, do you guys really think this is going to work? I mean, there's always the naysayer. I mean, I have to imagine there's somebody going, Man, I, now, it's, I believe, I believe it's the, re, the reason the Lord did the ten plagues. The first nine was to bring some faith in the room. Rather than him just starting it, put the blood and we'll go. There might have been a lot of people not participate. I'm not trying to add to scripture. You understand. But I believe they begin to see, man, the Lord's serious about this. There's something happening here. Something's going on in Egypt. I, I mean, Moses, is, he showed up. There's been nothing but problems since he got here, but stuff is happening. God's doing something. I mean, there's been frogs. There's been locusts. There's been what in the world is happening? Something crazy. The rivers have turned to blood. We witnessed that with our own eyes. We're seeing this. God's working. So by the time they got to the 10th plague, the children of Israel are ready to believe what God said he'll do. See, the Lord allows us to see unexplainable things at times in our life. So when it comes to a simple act of faith, we can say, okay, Lord, I'll believe. Now, I'm going to tell you, I believe with all of my heart. Those families could have obeyed the word of God. They could have taken a lamb. They could have killed the lamb. They could have got the blood in a basin. They could have cooked the lamb and ate it. They could have done everything else except put the blood on the doorposts. And I think they would not have been spared. The blood had to be put on. It's the song we just sang about. The blood applied. There had to be an application of the blood. There had to be an application of the blood.
There was an understanding. The writer of Hebrews declared this, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Well, we understand that scripture, but we understand in the fullness of light that shed blood requires to also be applied blood. We see it in the temple or the tabernacle in Moses when the children of Israel in the wilderness and the Lord gives them the tabernacle plan. And then when they dedicate the tabernacle there in the wilderness, they kill and they get blood. And the blood was put on every piece of furniture in the tabernacle. It wasn't enough, Moses, just to shed the blood. The blood had to be applied. And we know on the Day of Atonement when we read about it in Scripture that on this day the high priest was to take the blood from the altar of sacrifice. He was to go in. He would put blood on the horns of the altar of incense and offer worship. And then he would pass through the veil into the holiest of holies and he would take this basin of blood with him into the holiest of holies once a year. What was he doing? It was called the day of atonement. He was going to deal with the sins of Israel according to the instruction of the Lord. And the Lord said, don't come in here without blood. Why is it that Adam and Eve, when they failed, when they fell in the garden and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, and the Lord said, oh, that won't do. And so the Lord, the Bible says when the Lord came to them, he didn't, he didn't condemn them. He convicted them, but then he covered them. He convicted them of their wrong, and there were consequences for it. They died spiritually that day, according to the word of the Lord. If you eat of this tree, you'll die, and they did. They died spiritually that day. And so they died that day, but the Lord covered them, and his covering wasn't fig leaves. It wasn't something they could do themselves. So what is it? He clothed them, the Bible says, with coats of skin, of animal skins. Well, we understand that for an animal skin to be able to clothe someone, the animal first has to be killed. Blood has to be shed for there to be a covering. And so we see this principle throughout the Word of God. And so we see the applied blood in the tabernacle. But the Lord tells the high priest, don't come in here on the Day of Atonement without blood. You can't just go through all this stuff and forget the blood. You have to bring the blood when you come. And so the high priest would enter into the holiest of holies once a year. After having walked through all of these processes, he enters into the, high, into the holiest of holies with the blood in a basin. And the scripture tells us he would take the blood and he would begin to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. The mercy seat was there on the Ark of the Covenant. At the Ark of the Covenant, if you would imagine this is the Ark, there were two seraphims on the Ark. Angels and their wings would come over and they would look across. Actually, they would look down there. You see them, it says they looked across, but you, you can read other and you see they're looking at the mercy seat. And the high priest would come in with that blood of the lamb. When would he do this? He would do this on the day of atonement or at Passover. They were commemorating the Passover that happened in Egypt. But it was the pushing forward of their sin. And he would put blood on the mercy seat there in the tabernacle. We can go to scripturally, I promise you, I'm in the book. We just don't have time to walk through all this in the book this morning. We'll be here for four hours, and none of you want to do that. I could do it, but you couldn't. So he would take the blood of the lamb, and he would put it on the mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat was there, like I said, with the angels looking in. Under the mercy seat, inside of the Ark of the Covenant, there was something there. There were several things there. One thing that was there was Aaron's rod that budded. There was a bowl of manna that was in there, we know later on. But more importantly than anything else, inside the Ark of the Covenant, under the mercy seat, there was the law. The law that had been given to Moses, those tablets of stone, they were stored under the mercy seat. 
So what would happen is as the high priest would come into the holiest of holies, he would enter in with the blood. He would enter in after worship unto the Lord. He would go through all of those things. He's already offered a sacrifice. He's already washed at the braves in labor. He's always come, already come past the table of showbread and the oil there in the lamps. He's already offered praise. He now passes through the veil into the holiest of holies with this blood in the fear of the Lord. And he enters in in the fear of the Lord, knowing that the Lord has the right to judge Israel for their sin. And the Lord is a righteous judge. And so as a righteous judge, the Lord would judge Israel according to the law. He would not judge them of that which he did not teach them. And so the law had been given them so they knew how to live. And so when he would come to judge them, he would come with judgment. You understand the day of atonement was not just atonement. It was a day of judgment. They understood that. Just as it was in Israel at the Passover. The Passover was a day of judgment upon the land of Israel and the people of Israel. Those who had not applied the blood faced the judgment of God that night. When the angel passed through Egypt, if they had not followed the instruction of the Lord and applied the blood on the doorpost, the firstborn from Pharaoh's house all the way to the least in Egypt died. Why? Because it was not just atonement blood on the doorpost. It was a day of judgment. And so it was in the tabernacle when the high priest came in with this basin of blood on the day. They knew it was a day of judgment. All of Israel, Israel was set up with their tents all around the 12 tribes, three tribes on each side of the tabernacle. And their tent doors faced the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the center of their dwelling. There's a message in that. The tabernacle where the presence of the Lord came, where God dwelt, that was the center of their dwelling. They built their lives around the tabernacle. They built their lives around looking towards the tabernacle, looking towards the things of God, looking toward where God dwelt, looking toward where God spoke to them, looking toward where the presence of God came. And so on this day of atonement, what would happen is the high priest would go in, like I've shared, and we would see the head of every home would come to the door of their tent. And so if you can picture this, million-plus people, tents all around Three tribes of Israel this way, three tribes of Israel this way, three tribes and three. You got it, 12 tribes of Israel. And they're all facing in the tabernacle in the middle. And, it's, and the high priest, and they know what's happening. And so what are they doing while the high priest is going through this process of worship, sacrifice and worship and praise? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're standing in the door of their tent looking towards and waiting, waiting. They know this is a day of judgment. Would the sacrifice be accepted? Would the offering be accepted by the Lord who is a righteous judge? Or will he pass judgment on Israel today? It was a sober, it was a somber thing. It was a sober day as they await the judgment of the Lord coming to the, cap, the children of Israel. The high priest would sprinkle the blood there. And having walked through all of the process accordingly, the blood now hits the mercy seat. This was only once a year. The blood now hits the mercy seat there in the holiest of holies. And when it does so, the glory of the Lord would descend from heaven. And the glory of the Lord would come like a cloud down into the holiest of holies. And the glory of the Lord would set there above the mercy seat between the cherubims. And the children of Israel would wait. 
They would see the glory of the Lord. You see it in the Old Testament in the Hebrew. It's called the Shekinah glory. They would see the Shekinah come down like a cloud. They had been used to it because when they came out of Egypt, they followed the pillar of cloud by day. They followed the pillar of fire by night. They understood this is none other than the glory of the Lord leading us, guiding us, directing us. And they knew on this day of atonement, we're waiting for the glory of the Lord to descend. And we're going to see, is he going to judge or is he going to atone? Is he going to judge us according to his law? Or is he going to, in his great mercy and love, push our sins forward one more year? The glory of the Lord would come down there on the mercy seat. The law by which which they would be judged sat beneath the mercy seat in the ark. The glory of the Lord comes down. And rather than coming to the law to judge them, the glory of the Lord sees the blood. The blood stayed the judgment of God. It was the blood on the mercy seat that caused the glory of the Lord to stay his judgment for their sin. It was a day of atonement. The high priest, can you imagine being in his position? You're the first one there. All of Israel's waiting. They can't see. They don't know what's going on inside there. I mean, they know what's going on, but they can't see what's taking place. They understand. This is why all of the heads of the home stood in their tents facing and waiting. Waiting, waiting. The high priest, I know some of you know this. Need to hear it again. The high priest had a garment that he wore, a specific garment. And around the bottom of the hem of his garment, he had a bell and a pomegranate, and a bell and a pomegranate, and a bell and a pomegranate all the way around. Quite the interesting robe, I'm sure. The thing is, that pomegranate wouldn't be ripe, it would be dried out. And those bells, and so what would happen? is once the glory of the Lord came down on that mercy seat and the judgment of the Lord is stayed, the high priest would begin to worship the Lord. Worship would ascend. You can read a little bit about Hebrew worship in the Old Testament. And the high priest begins to worship there in the tabernacle in the glory of the Lord. And the people closest to the tabernacle, they hear him begin to worship. Well, you say, how did they hear him begin to worship? He had these bells and these pomegranates around the bottom of his robe. And they would begin to hear the sound of worship. And they knew the Lord has accepted the sacrifice. Our sin has been atoned. 
they would hear the bells as the high priest would begin to worship in the presence of God, the only one that could go into the presence of God at the time. And he would begin to worship in the presence of God. And those with tent doors closest would hear the sound. And when they would hear the sound, they would begin to shout. And what would happen is it would be like this ripple effect that would reach throughout the 12 tribes, every direction from the tabernacle. And a great shout would go up throughout the camp of Israel. And they would know the Lord has come. And the blood was there and he accepted the sacrifice. And because of the blood on the mercy seat, he has atoned us for our sin one more year. He is not going to judge us and destroy us as he is a righteous judge could do. But he has pushed our sin forward one more year. And every year at Passover, the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement. Until the Lord Jesus Christ came. We call it the Last Supper. We find him in an upper room with his disciples. And he said, with great desire, have I desired to eat this Passover with you. That speaks of his desire to atone sin. You understand, of course, when he took, he took the fruit of the vine and he took the bread. He blessed the bread and broke it. These 12 men sitting around the table with him were all Jews. They understood the significance of the Passover. They understood we're remembering what happened to our forefathers and how he brought them out of bondage and out of Egypt. We remember the blood in the tabernacle. We understand this day of atonement and what it's done for our sins. And so they, as good Jewish men, would celebrate the Passover together with Jesus. But Jesus makes a statement at this Passover that is different than anything they have ever heard at Passover. They would always hear the declaration that remember how the Lord and the lamb and the blood brought us out of Egypt. Remember our forefathers that were in bondage, but God by a great victory brought them out in one night from the blood. But Jesus didn't say all that it would seem. Jesus said, this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for you. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, we haven't heard it that way before. It's always been about what you've already done. No, but this is different. This Passover is different. You thought it was always signifying what I'd done in the past. But the reality is what you're taking part in right now is indicative about what I'm getting ready to do in your future. And so now when you take of this, I'm going to open your understanding of what you've been participating and your forefathers have been participating in for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was the reason I wanted to keep it in memory was not just so they remembered what I'd done, but so that when I do what I'm about to do, they would recognize it was his plan all along to redeem us. It was his plan all along to deliver us from sin and judgment of sin. And so Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you. What? 
That's the blood of the New Testament. You're getting ready to stop living under the old law. You're getting ready to start living under a new one. Hebrews tells us that without the death of the testator, that the will has no effect. You understand? I have some things at the moment. I'm still living, so we'll see. That I plan to pass along to my children. They don't get it while I'm alive. That's why I say at the moment. I may be gone before I pass. But I have some things I plan to pass to my children. You create what's called, you've heard this, a last will and... Last will and what? Last will and testament. We know that word, right? You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing in the Bible, just in case you didn't know that. It means the same thing. That's why it's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, the New Testament, this is why Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you. This is the blood of the New Testament. The New Testament does not go into effect until the testator, the one who wrote it, dies. You with me? Oh, see, this is why there can't be three gods. Because if there's three gods... And God the Father wrote it, but he's not the one that dies. Some different God dies. Well, then the one who wrote the testament didn't die. He's the God of the testament. He robed himself in flesh. And the God of the testament, you understand? The God of the testament's the one that had to die. Now, I understand the spirit of God never died. He's eternal. It was the man, Christ Jesus, that died. But he was the testator. And so, when Jesus said, this is the blood of the New Testament, all of a sudden they understood the Passover. It was about deliverance from bondage. Except I'm not interested in just delivering you from man's bondage. I'll deliver you from spiritual bondage. And you'll never be in bondage to sin again. And so, it was at Passover that Jesus Christ was crucified. He became or he was the Passover lamb. The book of Revelation calls him the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. It was in the mind of God to die for mine and your sin before he formed the world. He knew he'd have to. He knew we'd make a mess of it. See, we beat ourselves up so much, he already knew we were going to make a mess of it. But he loves us so much that he said, they're going to make a mess, so i got to have a plan so when they make a mess, I can deliver them from the mess they make. That's the love of God. 
And so he goes to Calvary at Passover, and the Lamb of God is slain, and the blood of the Lamb is shed at Calvary. The testator dies. New Testament. It's now in force. Now everything that he has is passed to his heirs. Oh, that should excite you more than it does. Because Paul said we are joint heirs with Christ. He said we are the sons of... This is why we're sons. Okay? This is why throughout Scripture you're called the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Why doesn't the Scripture say as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and the daughters of God? Is he excluding the ladies? Of course he's not. He's saying the reason why you are the sons of God is because inheritance goes to sons. It's about inheritance. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be is what Peter said. But watch. So the New Testament comes into effect. We are now in the New Testament. So what do we got to do? Well, we got to figure out how to apply the blood. Amen? I need the blood applied to my life. The blood's been shed. I got to get it applied. This is why I just going, well, believe it and it's all good. Well, no, I believe it. I believe it so much I'm going to get it applied to my life. The children of Israel believed what Jesus or what the Lord told them through Moses. And so they took the blood from the lamb and put it on their doorpost. They could believe it but never apply the blood on the doorpost and the death angel would have came to their house. It had to be applied. There has to be an application of the blood. There has to be an application of the blood. There has to be an application of the blood. You see the Old Testament example when Moses stood in front of the children of Israel and read the law to them. And then he took a basin of blood and he took a thing of his and he sprinkled them with blood. What was he doing? He said, hey, this is a blood of a covenant that's being made right now. And I want this blood to get on you because this blood is signifying when it gets on you that you're now under the covenant. And he said, will you honor? And they said, we will. He said, all right, the blood's on you. The blood. And so we see this New Testament, and so we have to apply the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Now we know that Christ died once for all. This is why we don't need to kill a lamb every year. I'm so thankful we're under the New Testament. I mean, really, aren't you? You're thankful too. You just don't know it yet. You just haven't gotten to thankfulness fully yet. If we weren't under the New Testament, you would have had to show up here yesterday with like a couple of doves and or something. You never thought about that, did you? These are things I think about when I'm reading the Word of God. If we were still under the Old Testament, we would have had to show up yesterday with, like with some doves and, and like some different, maybe a lamb for our house or maybe had to come with some oil and some flour. We read it. That's the Old Testament. Oh, thank God we're not under that. He was shed once. The lamb was slain once. 
because what the blood of bulls and goats could not do. The blood of bulls and goats could only ease the conscience of man. But the blood of a spotless lamb, the blood of a spotless lamb, it could completely clean the conscience of a man and make it new. The blood of a spotless lamb could wash away the elements of sin, the stains of sin, the pains of sin, the wounds of sin, the blemishes of sin. The blood of the lamb, a spotless lamb, would cleanse us completely when applied to where when he looks, he no longer sees sin. He only sees the blood. And we see the Old Testament type and shadow in the new when the blood of Jesus is applied to mine in your life and he looks at us and the adversary, the accuser of the brethren says, but you did this, but you lived this way, but you acted this way but you were a sinner look at the vile things look at your life look at you and Jesus looks and says I don't know what you're talking about I've come as a righteous judge and when I look at their life I don't see all that stuff that you're bringing up you're a liar and the father of it when I look what I see is a life that's clean because all I see is the blood I come and the adversary wants judgment, but there's blood applied. And so the blood covers, the blood washes, the blood makes new. I see the blood. This is why we see in Revelation the accuser of the brethren coming, coming, trying to always accusing, always accusing, always accusing, always condemning, always accusing. But the scripture is very clear about the church. They overcame him. They overcame the accuser. How? They overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their life unto the death. Why? Because he laid down his life. I ought to lay down my life for him. The blood has to be applied. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So remission of sins, we read in Acts chapter 2, in verse number 38. Well, actually, let's go to Luke 24 first. Luke 24, verse 48. Let's try that. Might be 47, but let's try 48. Oh, go back one more, verse 46. And he said unto them, that's Jesus that's talking here, by the way. Jesus said unto them, by the way, Jesus has already died. He's been buried, and he rose again. This is his last words in the book of Luke. Watch what Jesus said with his last words. Thus it is written... And thus it behooved, I know we don't use that word, it means it was necessary. It behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day. Notice that colon at the end of that statement there. That means he's going to further explain what he just said. Next verse. Why was it necessary for Christ to die and suffer and rise again? This is why. So that repentance or and that, the two thoughts are joined together. And that repentance and what? Remission of sins. Now, without what? There's no remission of sins. Shedding of blood. Jesus said, some of his last words before he ascended, that repentance and remission of sins. So when we read that, we know there's going to have to be some blood involved somewhere. Repentance and remission of sins, the removal of sins, the washing away of all of our sins as though we never committed them. 
remitted, done away with. Repentance and remission of sin should be preached. How should it be preached? In his name. What's his name? What's his name? Okay, just make sure we're, in the same, okay, we're on the same page. I thought so. Just wanna, it's good to confirm these things sometimes. When you read over something, you just sort of pass it. So repentance and remission of sin should be preached in Jesus' name. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Jesus is talking. So repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations. Beginning, where should it start? Okay, good. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. We're in Jerusalem. It's the day of Pentecost. What a beautiful thing. The day of Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. 50 days after Passover. Pentecost just means 50. 50 days after Passover, the children of Israel are gathered, some Jews are believers, not all the children of Israel. Uh, believers are gathered together in Jerusalem, the disciples and about 118 others, or 108 others. They've been praying for seven days or so. And the Holy Ghost falls there. Now people see these people, all, all these 120 or so speaking in tongues. And they're like, these guys are crazy. They are drunk. Peter doesn't deny that. Peter stands up and says, yeah, they're drunk, but just not like you think. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And he goes on. Now watch. So he tells them, hey, by the way, Christ that you crucified, he was the Messiah. You killed the lamb. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Verse number 36. Verse 37, Peter, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Yes? What do we do? What do we do? That's a good question to ask. If I've sinned, what do I do? That's what they were asking because they had sinned. They recognized their sin. They had killed an innocent man. What do we do? And Peter, notice he was Peter and the rest of the apostles. He's not going solo here. Verse 38, Peter said to them, what should you do? Repent. Repent. Hey, that sounds like what Jesus said in Luke 24 that should be preached, doesn't it? So it would seem that Peter is simply preaching what Jesus said he should preach. Yes? Is that fair? repentance so he said repent and be baptized every one of you now hold on a minute i don't remember jesus and luke saying anything about baptism i just remember him saying repent repentance and remission of sin should be preached yes but of course we're not gonna take the time this morning if you go look at Mark 16, Jesus' last words, and you go look at Matthew 28, Jesus' last words, in both of those passages, he referenced baptism as well. And so Peter and the rest understood from the full context of their time with Jesus exactly what Jesus was saying. And so Peter says what Jesus told them to preach. He's in Jerusalem, by the way. Beginning at Jerusalem. And so Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name. So he's preaching in the name like he was told to do. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? So there's something between this baptism and the remission of sins. 
Is that a fair statement from the Word of God? Repent and be baptized. I mean, it doesn't get much clearer than that. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name for, this is why you're being baptized, in the name of Jesus Christ. It's for the remission of sins. Yes? I submit to you today, we can go through a bunch more scripture, I won't do that to you. Baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is the application of the blood of Jesus Christ. blood is applied without the shedding of blood is no remission of sins sister amber when you went down out there in the yakima river you're sort of reflecting on that right now weren't you i could tell i sort of was too when you went down in the yakima river that crazy cold day help her lord oh my sins are washed away the blood's applied the blood's applied. I'm, I'm sitting here this morning. I, if you'll just allow me a minute. I'm remembering. You guys have been married 14 years? Almost 13. I add time. 13 years. My wife says I add time all the time. So, 13 years. Almost 13 years. I remember almost 13 years ago marrying this couple in the beautiful name of Jesus. He kissed her. The bride. They walked down the aisle, happy grinning. They walked out the back door. And they changed clothes. We had some rooms on the back of the foyer. They changed clothes, and they walked right back down the aisle. And we had a baptismal tank sitting up right at the altar where we just married them. Remember that? I'm sure you remember. I hope you remember. I remember it like yesterday. And we baptized them. She got two names that day. <laughs> we baptized him in Jesus' name. Entered into a new covenant. A new testament. Now, we're going to baptize some people today. I didn't plan on talking about this. I had, other, I had some other notes about other stuff, but the Lord just sort of stuck me right here. When you go down in the water or when you went down in the water in Jesus' name, the blood of Jesus Christ was applied to your life. You don't have to get baptized again if you make a mistake or fail. Okay, This is why Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 5, there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. Okay, He went on to say there's one God and Father who's above all, through all, and in you all. And so, the blood is applied. When the blood's applied, it's ever effective. Now, the blood gave us victory over sin. He defeated sin. He came to destroy the works of Satan. And I believe he's successful in what he came for. And so, you and I can live free from sin. But if we sin, the Bible says, if we sin, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if I've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, like Peter said we should be, and the blood's applied to my life, if I fail or falter again, I go to a place of repentance and prayer, and the blood still works. The blood still works. Now, I don't seek to go, well, you know what? I've been baptized. I'll just live however I want, and then I can just go repent. It's all No, 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 that's foolishness. That's crucifying the Lord afresh. Because when you're baptized in Jesus' name, you enter into a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Abraham entered into a covenant. It was circumcision on the eighth day. And they would circumcise the foreskin, and it was in the flesh. But there was blood involved. Well, in the New Testament, we still have circumcision, but it's not of the flesh. It's circumcision of the heart, the Scripture tells us. Circumcision of the spirit, not of the flesh. So what happens? We go into the waters of baptism. There is a circumcision of my heart, that hardened heart that was once there. The blood comes, and the love of God circumcises my heart, and the blood is applied. And I'm saying, what am I doing when I go through the waters of baptism? I am having spiritual circumcision, and I am accepting the fact that I'm entering into a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not some ritualistic routine. It's the applying of the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Amen. Thank you for the blood. Now, I need to say this because this keeps coming up different places, different times. And you want to talk about something that gets me fired up. This gets me fired up. There is this thing that keeps coming up. And maybe so we can learn, teach, and know. There's a, an idea in our world today that is beginning to promote itself. And unfortunately, it's even being promoted by people who are held in high regard as teachers of Scripture. And this promotion is that baptism is not necessary. And the idea is they often point to the thief on the cross when Jesus was being crucified. And they make this statement that sounds really good. I've heard it this way one time. I'm be careful. I'm not trying to throw somebody under the bus, but we need to rightly divide the word of truth. They make this statement that says, well, the thief on the cross didn't do anything. He just asked and the Lord said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. I totally agree. I don't have any problem with that. Say, well, he wasn't baptized. I don't know if he was or not. But here's the deal. When the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, who was he talking to? Not a trick question. Who is the thief talking to? Jesus, yes? Did Jesus hear him? Jesus responded to him, didn't he? That tells me Jesus was not dead yet. Yes? So the question becomes, if Jesus was not dead yet when he responded to him, was the New Testament in effect yet? 
no death of a testator. Still the Old Testament. Until he died. So this is why Jesus could say today. How? Because he had the ability to atone sin. But Jesus doesn't change his word to fit the circumstance. And the reality was the thief on the cross was still under the law. And Jesus was still God manifested in the flesh. And so he could. Now, it gets twisted. Jesus did not say, today you'll be with me in heaven. Don't put him in. I'm not telling you he's not going to be in heaven. You understand? But the, don't make the scripture say something it doesn't say. The scripture said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's not heaven. That's a different Bible study for a different time. Okay. No man hath ascended up to heaven except he who has ascended down from heaven. Again, different Bible study for a different time. Okay. The thief on the cross did not have to be baptized because the New Testament was not yet in effect. The testator was still living and spoke to him. And oh, by the way, all the stuff Jesus said about repentance and baptism in Matthew and Mark that we read in there in Luke, he said all of that after he had died and rose again. He was teaching them how to walk in the New Testament. Why don't you stand with me this morning? We need understanding of the scriptures. Not intellectual understanding, spiritual understanding. Now I have a question for you. Before we finish. If I'm going to baptize, if I'm going to be baptized, and I'm going to have the blood applied to my life, whose blood is being applied to my life? Not a trick question. Don't overthink stuff. Whose blood? We agree. Jesus. So, so why would I get baptized but not call his name? This is the great deception. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying in Matthew 28 19 when he said, Go ye into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Peter knew exactly what he was saying when he said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And the other apostles standing with him. They were not confused about what Jesus said. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew the name of the Father. They knew the name of the Son. They knew the name of the Holy. They knew there is only one name. This is why in Acts 4 and 12 they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So today we're going to apply the blood of Jesus to some lives. Amen? Well, we're going to baptize them in Jesus' name. He's going to let his blood be applied to their lives. All their sins are going to be washed away. If you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, 
You need to be. I'm not putting pressure on you this morning. I'm simply speaking to you the word of God so that you'll take it and consider it and ponder it through the word and in prayer. If you are baptized in the titles, you need to be rebaptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The power's in the name. The blood is, you, you all said it, we're being baptized because of his blood. The power's in the name. That's why in Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, they all baptized in the name of Jesus. Okay? Aren't you thankful for the blood today? Now, I want us to pray together before we go further. We're going to start getting these people ready. But as we pray, I believe, I know that there is healing in the blood. The remission of sins next to it's not just the remission of your sins. It's the remission of sins. It's the remission of your sins, but it's also the remission of sins that have been committed against you so that those no longer have hold or mark upon your life. It is the remission of sins in the waters of baptism. It's why Israel, after they came out of Egypt, went through the Red Sea. And Egypt was drowned in the Red Sea. Could have been the Green Sea, but no, it was a red. Everything in the Bible has purpose. The blood on the doorpost got them out of Egypt. Them going through the water got Egypt from ever attacking them again. When you go through the water, when you go through the water, it destroys that that which would try to destroy you. We're going to see the Lord do some healing in the water today. I believe that with all of my heart. Spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, this is what the Lord does. Can we thank the Lord right now for the blood? Can we begin to worship Him and lift Him up in this room? Can we begin to call on the name that is above every name? Hallelujah. Let your will be done, Lord. Let your will be done, Lord. Let your Hallelujah. Let your will be done, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for the blood, the cleansing, washing, regenerative work of the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you for the blood. Hallelujah. There is now no condemnation. I know because of your blood I'm made clean. Because of your blood I'm made whole. Thank you for the blood today, Jesus. Thank you for your blood today, Jesus. Thank you for the cleansing blood of the Lamb. Let it be applied to our lives this day. I pray a work in the lives of those we're baptizing this morning that only you can do. We believe for the supernatural work of the blood. We believe in the supernatural working of your blood. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. When we understand that it was our sin that put him on the cross, that leads us to repentance. Amen. That leads us to repentance. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God.
You can be seated if you want to. You can keep talking to the Lord right there. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, just talk to him right there. You can pray sitting in your pew. Would you do that? And the presence of the Lord is here. I believe the healing that will take place in the waters of baptism is not just for those that will be baptized. I believe some of you today, you need to let the blood work in you. You've already been baptized. You just need to let the blood have its work in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, and in your spirit. Come on, if you're covered in the blood, the blood will destroy fear. The blood should speak to you of the love of God like nothing else does. And the love of God drives out fear. The love of God casts out fear. Come on, there is no greater expression of the love of God for you than the blood that he shed for you. The fact that he laid his life down for you and I and shed his blood, there's no greater expression of his love for you than that. In the name of Jesus, we receive of your blood. We receive of the work of your blood. We receive it in Jesus' name. We receive it in Jesus' name. We receive it in Jesus' name. We magnify you, Lord, and give you glory this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. We're going we're gonna to baptize Amaya today, Amaya Jimenez is going to be baptized. Dante and Misty are going to be baptized today in the beautiful name of Jesus. And I'm rejoicing over these things. Praise God. My wife and I had the privilege of, uh, we were, had a Bible study and hung out a little bit on Friday night with Dante and Misty and we're talking through the word and talking about the, I can't talk about the blood without getting worked up. And we got to talking about the blood and the waters of baptism and, and the spirit of the Lord just met us right there in the room where we were sitting and began to minister and the revelation of the blood and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should never get old to us. We should revisit it again and again. Amen. Praise God. While they're getting ready, feel free to greet someone if you'd like to do that. And then we'll baptize these folks in Jesus' name.